Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. Welcome to All Nations Aurora. Erica, how are you? Hey. hey, hey. <laughs> I found my voice. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad that you're here. Uh, this is, we've been doing different topics uh, all month. And no matter what the topic is, people keep sitting there marriage questions. <laughs> and so clearly this is a conversation um, that needs to be had, that's been wanted to be had. Talk to us about how did you get into this work and why are you subjecting yourself to helping people in this particular journey? So my bachelor's in um, art is in elementary education. So I was a teacher in Chicago public school for about 15 years. And I recognized that children needed a different land. So they didn't care anything about history if their mamas was arguing. They didn't care nothing about math if they didn't have nothing to eat. So I realized actually our nation in Chicago was where I was prompted. They started the counseling department and they were like, we're looking for licensed therapists. I was like, wow, I want to do that. And so I went back to school about four years ago and got my master's in marriage and family therapy. And so that is what propelled me because I feel like there is a fight to stay married nowadays, to get married and to stay married. So question number one, what should you do? I think this is a good place to start Okay. because we're talking about marriage. We're talking about counseling. What should you do if your spouse isn't open to counseling? Oh, you I are, but they aren't. I get that question all the time. So I think it is so excellent that we're doing this on Pentecost Sunday because marriage, you need Holy Spirit to make your marriage work. It's impossible without them. And so, if you have a spouse that doesn't want to go to counseling, I always say, then you go to counseling because what can change a spouse is the change in you. And so instead of waiting for your spouse to change, you change and he will change or she will change according to your change. So I say go to counseling anyway to begin on yourself. Uh, how important is premarital counseling? We have quite a few singles in here. Some are engaged, some are looking to be married. Um, and not everybody does premarital counseling. So how important is that prior to marriage? Not only is premarital counseling important, I actually do something called dating counseling. Okay. Talk about <laughs> Before that. we even get to premarital, because ain't nothing more crazy than people wasting time in relationships. And people will date for years and years and years and ain't even ask serious questions yet. And so I'm very big on dating counseling. And I believe in dating counseling, when you find somebody that you think could even possibly be, feel free to bring them to counseling because I have the luxury of asking the question you may never ask. Like, what's your time frame with marriage? When do you want to get married? Do you believe in marriage? Now, after dating counseling, I believe in premarital counseling because there are so many things that unlock. Uh, uh, one of the things I say, a marriage and family therapist is different from other therapists is that what we do is study family patterns. And so premarital counseling unlocks some of the patterns that you don't even know exist. So sometimes you're fighting in a relationship out of residue. And if you don't even know what the residue is, you can't even begin to put the language together. So premarital counseling is very important. Next question. How do you deal with a spouse to whom you hold anger, bitterness, and resentment and are no longer attracted to? Mm. Oh, they said we're going to get them all today. <laughs> like the, the kids and <laughs> they, children. Did everybody get assaulted with y'all? Yes. <laughs> It's a lot more like these. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, We're going to pray after this. 
All right. So bitterness. So here enters in Holy Spirit because that is a choice. So attraction, of course, is something I always say depends. So it's always about why are you losing attraction? Now, this is something we don't like to talk about. Is it physical? Have people gained more weight? Have they lost weight? Do they not cut their hair? Have they lost their hair? Have they done this? Have they done that? Have they, do they have the bad attitude? So really getting to the root of why the attraction is gone is one thing. But the bitterness and unforgiveness, that is still a personal journey. Because I always say Jesus forgave when they was killing them. And so that is the highest level of forgiveness. And so a lot of times we can't forgive because they didn't take out the garbage. Now we got to really get Holy Spirit together. We really got to let them use on us. All right, next question. When it comes to relationships, what are some ways that I can heal my insecurities and jealousy issues along with prayer, of course? <laughs> so they was like, no, we're not letting you right, help right. the prayer thing. We know we're supposed to pray, Erica. <laughs> what else? So insecurity, I believe in patterns. So where did the insecurity, so say if it was a session and some that came up, my first question would be, uh, how long have you noticed that insecurity? Was there a time you weren't insecure? When did that crop up? Because we want to chase down where the insecurity started. So I think about when I was a kid, I used to love public speaking, loved it. And as I got older, I got more afraid of public speaking. I remember when I lost it, eight years old at my Easter play, I, I lost my lines. And I froze. And I remember from that point on, I started becoming more and more insecure about speaking in public. And so the thing was, is once I recognized that the reason why I wasn't, I, I forgot my lines was because I didn't study. I goofed off. I didn't do what I was supposed to. So then I recognized that it wasn't just insecurity because I wasn't good enough. It was insecurity because I didn't prepare. And so you have to recognize where does the insecurity stem from? So that's the first thing. What was the other part of it? It's insecurity and jealousy. What kind of jealousy is it? And I know that's a strange one too, because this might be, you know, I've got, we got some liberties, right? Jealousy is a natural reaction. So if my husband is talking to somebody and as I see him interacting with a woman or however, there could be some jealousy, even though he's not doing something. So I have to get to the root of the jealousy. Am I jealous because he's doing something inappropriate or am I jealous because I'm insecure? So you have to start digging into the why of why you're responding the way you're responding. So I always tell people, start with your why. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? And keep digging until you hit something. Yeah. This is a good question. Should you seek marital prep counseling if you had a divorce, even if you have no prospects at the moment, but have a desire for marriage? So I guess we can talk about divorce or even widows. So if you remarry, should you go through the process all over again? The of process of counseling? Like counseling? Yes. Oh, doubly so. Because I even believe in something called blended family counseling. Mm. Because many, I always say, if there's a thousand eggshells that you're going to walk on when you marry, you're going to have 10,000 when you're blending a family. There are 10,000 things that are maneuvering through your relationship. So even with divorce, so assuming that the person has children, you need to figure out, and this might be trigger warning, how does that X factor into the legacy of your family? We like to try to throw away the mother or the father of the previous relationship, but that person is tied to your legacy. And so you have to have counseling to maneuver through that so you can deal with the emotions that you have with that and not just kind of sweep it under the rug and move by. So I think it is very important to have some version of counseling. If the other couple, if the other, you know, 
I have had counseling where there has been a lot of people in the room. But the thing is, is if everybody doesn't come, at least the couple needs to talk about the reality of how do your previous relationship factor into your current future? That's real good. Is this even biblical? Because some people just feel like, you know, we should just pray about it or go on a fast about it, both of which are powerful tools that God has given us for breakthrough. Some people may have aversion to professional counseling, especially in a sensitive subject like their relationship. How do you approach people who may be struggling to think that trying to go seek a human is me turning my back on the power of God to heal my situation? Well, one of the things I tell people, me personally, I'm not only sanctified, I'm qualified. So it's a two-part piece to it. There's, I need, I counsel with Holy Spirit. He leads me. So there are many times I have a session with a couple and I'll be stumped. I won't know. I won't know where to go. They're heated. They're upset. They're annoyed. And the Holy Spirit will enter into spaces in their lives and he'll let me in. I call it a word, what's called the word of wisdom. So he'll give me a word of wisdom to say in those situations. And so I tell people that it's really just a conversation and it's about being comfortable. That's why I call myself the conversationalist because I'm sitting there having a conversation about things. I tell people my degree, my master's is in asking questions and unlocking doors that people are purposely locking. So that's what people are usually uncomfortable with because the questions I ask you are meant to go in an area that you have sealed up and closed down. And so usually when people don't want to go to counseling, they usually don't want to tap into those areas because they're afraid. They don't know what's going to come out. So I always tell people, that's what the shirt on I have says, do it, do it scared. Be, do it scared. Well, the hashtag is marriage because people are scared to get married, but that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> but do it scared. Like be in a situation with a therapist to know that they've been trained to ask you questions, to find out the heart of what it is and to help you break a pattern. So I'm really big on counseling and Jesus. Talk about the importance of really working on your marriage to get to a healthy state because it impacts the kingdom of God. So a lot of times I think people just keep it, you know, in their homes. but talk about the reason why we have to get better at this because the kingdom of God is waiting for that. Oh, I believe that I, my um, 27 year old, our 27 year old just got married and, I, and we said, we're doing it for the kingdom. Kingdom marriage present it. One of the things I said, so my husband and I, we've been married for 27 years. And so we shout have out to 20, how many? That's 27? Awesome. 27. That's a 27. Salute. So I also say I'm also in this fight with y'all. I'm in the struggle too. So the idea is that people seeing, I believe that when people see my husband and I work together, they see the Holy Spirit working through us. If not everybody else, our children do too. A lot of times I hear couples saying, well, kids shouldn't see their parents argue. I always tell people, kids should see their parents resolve conflict. Because if you hide arguing from a kid or if you hide um, disagreements from children, what they do is they grow up and say, well, my parents never argue. So if I'm arguing, that means this must be wrong. Versus if they see two parents, two people trying to become one flesh disagree but learn how to negotiate because that's what marriage is. Marriage is 24 seven negotiation. If you teach them how to negotiate their differences, it comes away. So I definitely believe, and it shows other people too. Even the fact that saying we're married 27 years, it's a salvation question. It's an evangelism tool. Well, how did y'all do it? Let me tell you how Jesus did it. I always say, strain your marriage through the fruits of the spirit. If you don't have the fruits of the spirit operating through your marriage it's going to decline. And so it's an evangelism tool. Can we stay there for a second? Because you just said something, a phrase that I'm sure 
had a few people's brains percolating. <laughs> Marriage is a 24 seven negotiation. Okay. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit? Cause some people are better at negotiating than others. <laughs> so when you think about negotiation, it's not always a fun, a fun situation. And some people are like, well, why don't you use compromise? Because compromise is not a bad word, but sometimes compromise is giving something up. So that could be a little tricky. But negotiation is, I'm going to do something, you're going to do something, how do we meet in this space together? And you're negotiating all the time. Be it, I always tell people, 85% of me and my husband's arguments have been over our children because that's where we lock, because he has a vision of how our son should be, I have a vision, and it usually um, bumps heads. So we have to negotiate through, okay, well, you're gonna do this. Well, well, maybe I should wanna do this. Well, it's not fair, I did that. That's a part of negotiating through the relationship. A lot of people think that marriage is just you wake up. Becoming one is complex. I always say, if you lived in a three-bedroom house for 24 years, and then the next year you had to move into a one-bedroom house, how difficult would it be to become one in a one-bedroom house from a three-bedroom? You would have to throw stuff away, get rid of stuff. That's what marriage is. There are parts of you, I know this might be a trigger, that you have to get, a, get rid of because your partner, your husband... I got to change. Oh, absolutely. But you should be used to it anyway because you got Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's the thing about it. You should be used to change anyway. And that's why I was so excited. I was looking around and seeing everybody... We were so excited about the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit coming in. And I was saying, how, how do we run him through our marriage? How do you have temperance, long sufferance, love, 1 Corinthians 13, keeping no records of wrong love in your marriage versus this idea of, well, I love him when I get a tingle. I love her when she does what I need. So good. Y'all enjoying this? Right? Good. How can you recognize when it's time to leave? Is that the devil or God? Oh, that's complex. Time to leave. So I always tell people, if we put three things on the shelf, take three things off the shelf, domestic abuse, um, excessive like drug, drug addiction, and uh, another trigger warning, and consistent infidelity. If we put those three on the shelves, and when I tell you, when I counsel couples, those three things are usually not on the table. The, most people are not coming to me about that. Most couples come to me about incompatibility or mismanaged expectations. I always say people leave marriages not because of lack of love, but because of mismanaged expectations. They have an expectation of their spouse that has been embedded in their head that they've maybe never verbalized. And now that is coming up in their relationship. And now they're feeling like they're being untreated. They're being unseen. And now they're like, well, my only resolve is leaving. Nobody can fix this. So leaving is a very complex thing because it's about who's telling you to leave and why are you leaving? Are you leaving because you're not getting your way? Are you leaving because you don't feel seen? Are you leaving because you're frustrated? Not, uh, of course, if you're leaving because somebody is abusing you and beating you and things of that nature, but generally those have not been what people come to me about. It's usually about, I didn't ask him 20 times to plan a date and he won't do it or he don't see me, or I've asked her for sex and she won't give it to me. Like those tend to be the ideas. It's not usually about those complex situations. So you said a big portion of, of relationships that are falling apart are because of mismanaged expectations. How do we manage expectations better? Communication. 
And that's a heavy word that people throw around, communication. I always say the foundation of communication is curiosity. Most people in relationship are assuming. They're very assumptive. So like, for example, people will sit down and they'll have a session and be like, and they'll, I'll ask a question. And each one I answer, well, let me tell you what she gonna say. Well, let me tell you what he gonna say. And so it's all this assuming going on in the relationship versus being curious. I say, when you're speaking to your spouse, it's about asking more questions instead of making more statements. So when they come home from work, you know, uh, they come home from work, they don't want to, you don't want to talk to me today. So the question is, hey, how was your day? You know, what's going on? It's about the curiosity and the curiosity helps you unfold. The mismanaged expectations come from a place of family patterns. So it can be a situation where your spouses, uh, every time you bring a situation to them, they close up, they don't respond. Well, first of all, men and women speak two different languages. So that's a whole different thing. Okay, we're gonna follow up with that one then. <laughs> they speak two different languages. And so the idea is that the wife may be asking a question, the husband may be pulling back and the assumption is he doesn't want to talk to me. But usually men are internal processors and usually women are external processors. So that's why sometimes when your wife is saying a lot of things and you're giving her a lot of solutions, she's getting more and more annoyed because the, the talking is not about you solving it. The talking is really about she needs a processing partner and you trying to get her to shut up because you're trying to do something else. So let's solve it and move on. And the difference is sometimes wives take the silence of a man as rejection, but really the silence is, I got to think about what you're saying. I got to process it. I got to come up with solutions. And so if that's not careful, they will bump against each other and it'll cause conflict. So I got I to gotta follow up on that. So you just said that if, if there's the scenario, and it could be male or female, one's the internal, one's the external processor. How, okay, you just helped maybe us recognize that. How do we put those two things together? Because she said in your example that one may be saying something and the response from the other one is, oh, I know how we can fix that, but that's not what they're looking for. So that just left, what are we supposed to do if, if I'm the one that is like a solution brain and my partner is talking things as a way of trying to just express themselves, so I'm not supposed to come up with a solution, what am I supposed to do? That's where that curiosity comes in. You know, um, is, babe, is this a time you want me to give you a solution or do you need me to listen to you? That small statement could call, that, that will call derail a lot of arguments. And she might be like, well, I just need you to listen. Okay, then tell me if you want me to say something after that. And then as she's speaking and she's talking, you know, you, you could be like, oh yeah, those sounds like some good ideas. What are you thinking about that? And then with him, if he's being quiet, the wife's saying, so I see you're quiet. Do you need time to process or is now a good time for me to ask you questions and giving him an opportunity to say, well, I need about 20 minutes. So for me, my husband is an internal processor and I'm external. And not only that, I can think of, I would say women are spaghetti, men are waffles. So I'm thinking about 20 different things at one time. I'm his help me. So I'm multitasking a million thoughts. He is usually doing one thought at a time, but he's doing it at 100%. And so his 100% is like, I can't understand. Wait, wait, you want me to do what? What's, uh, wait, it's too much. And I'm like, oh, so you ain't even listening. He like, well, no, 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 I'm listening, but I don't know what you mean. Like, I, and I'm like, well, if you, if you was listening to me, and then I have to remember like, okay, wait a minute. How much time, babe, do you need to process? And he'll say 20 minutes. Now here's the rule in our house is that he can take the 20 minutes, but it's his responsibility to come back. Because if I have to go back to you, now I'm gonna have attitude. You said 20 minutes. It's 35. That's Where you at? <laughs> Wait a minute now. Okay. 
you in our house. That is the truth. You're not even gonna be mysterious about it. What's happening? Okay, on Friday and Friday passed. Right. I'm still thinking. But that's that's the key. And that's what he does. That's what I say is a person who's internal has he to come forgot. back. He forgot. And say, right. And say, I'm still thinking I need some more time. Is that okay? That's the thing. Because really in those moments, the person who, and I'm going to just say well, generally women, usually we want to know that you care. That connects to us as care. If you're not speaking, it means you don't care about me. Now, we know that's extreme. But when our emotions are wrapped into it, it's like, clearly he can't care about me if he's just going to let me stew in this for a week, two weeks. So he just ain't going to say nothing. But he's tapping me on the shoulder at 930 at night. <laughs> you can talk. Right. Now, now we got a new dilemma. <laughs> so good. Um, Jonathan and Breezy, y'all y'all getting something? Yeah. They're getting married in three weeks, y'all. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> How do you deal with the mate that shows signs of narcissistic behavior? So explain what narcissistic behavior is. I feel like people throw that word around. That's a buzzword right yeah. now. Yeah. First of all, since we're wrapped in flesh, we're all narcissistic. That's the first thing. But the, what usually what people are talking about is the they're trying to connect it to the clinical idea of narcissism, which is in order to be true narcissistic, you have to qualify for like six out of nine points on them. And I mean, a true narcissist, you can really, like a clinically diagnosed narcissist, you could tell the difference. But what people are usually talking about, what I've explained is that it usually boils down to male-female tendencies, it, it generally. Oftentimes, I tell my husband that I feel like he is thinking more about himself than he's thinking about me. But then I think about the scripture. Husbands love your wife like you love your own self. So he guy had to tell men to love their wife like they love their own self because they knew they love their own self. Just like God had put a lot of sauce on that. Did y'all notice that? Revelation. He was really passionate right there. He had, he had to tell the men. Tell the men that. And just like with us, he had to say, woman, and respect your husband. Because the first thing for women is gonna go out the window is respect. The first thing. We can lose respect over something small. And so the idea is that some of those are just curse maneuverings, winding and weavings. And so the narcissism, I would have to ask them, what do they think is narcissistic? Is, is the husband or is the wife just thinking about themselves? Are they speaking about themselves and figuring out like, are they love bombing? Love bombing is the idea where you are, um, when you're constantly telling somebody, like love bombing is, oh, you're so beautiful today, you're so great. And then maybe 20 minutes later, uh, you know, I should, I, I don't have to be with you. I don't need to be with you. It's like they build them up to then deflate them. So there are real narcissistic keys to things. So that's, I always tell people to kind of decipher between flesh and psychology. All right. Let's go to the dating scene for a minute. How do you deal with the disappointment of wanting to be married now, but feeling like your partner isn't? Okay, so I, I am assuming that the two people are dating and one doesn't want to get married yet. Is that kind of the assumption? That's, that's what it seems yeah. like. Okay. Uh, okay, so this is literally where my bread and butter is. I love me some dating questions. So generally, let's assume it's a woman asking the question because generally it is the man who is dragging his feet in marriage to get married and the woman who's tending to want the man to get married. So I'll just assume it's a woman asking the question. 
and then I'll flip it to the man. So if it's a one, if it's a man dragging his feet, the first question I would ask the woman is, what have you asked him? Because women, we like to make it seem like men are very complex, but really I think women don't ask very efficient questions to men because they usually don't want the real answer. So you don't. <laughs> you just be throwing, you can't just go buy that stuff. What do you mean? Do you I'm sorry, mean? Erica. So, you know, I'm trying. Okay, so usually, so oftentimes if a woman wants to be married, she has to weave through all of societal pressures of her being taught that you don't want to be desperate. You don't want to tell a man to marry you, girl. You got the rest of your, all of these things that have been going on in society. And I always tell women, there's a difference between determination and desperation. There's a difference between being desperate to be married, meaning I'm gonna take whatever's out there and determined to be married. I have a plan and I'm going to focus on being married. And so generally those two kind of merge with people. So I say that to say, if the, if the woman has not said to the man, what is your plan? When do you want to get married? This is my time. So usually what I tell men is because this is usually what happens in that dynamic. The man and woman, they're skipping through life, having a girlfriend, boyfriend relationship. And then the woman has an internal clock in her mind of when she wants to get married. Now she may have never told it to the man, but she got it in her head. She like, by December 2024, if I ain't married, I'm out of here. This is what she just said to herself, her friends, her mama. But who, who, who she ain't told? The man. <laughs> so they going through. And then January gets here of the day of the month, and she's still not married. Now what? She got attitude. And now the man is like, what happened? We was doing great. What happened? She was like, nothing. Because she's been taught that if she brings up marriage, that she's desperate versus asking a question. So I have a time frame that I want to be married. I want to be married by 30. What do you think about that? And giving the man an option to say, eh, I don't know if I want to be married by 30. What do you think? Because now you're operating the skills of negotiation early on, which is what you're going to need in marriage. Well, I want to be married by December, 2024. And he's like, I don't think I want to be married by 2024. Some women get offended by that. How dare he not want that? Instead, continue to go forward. Well, when would you want to get married? Well, I, about another three years. Okay, that's not going to work for me. Three years is too long. What about a year and a half? That's the art of negotiation and going back and forth. And it's being direct. A lot of times we don't ask questions as women because we don't want the real answer. We don't want to know if he really wants to marry us. We don't want to know if he wants to leave us or stay with us. And so what happens is we continue giving wife duties at girlfriend prices. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. I'm sorry. Wow. I love that. Um, talk about how important it is for singles to make sure that they're dating with marriage material in mind, right? Because I think a lot of times in, when you're single, sometimes you could just waste your time. So how do you know that this person is the ideal person or could be the ideal person uh, to marry in the future? For men, I think it's a lot easier to figure out if a woman is marriage-minded. You, you literally can go through Proverbs 31 and run, and I'm talking about like a real look at it, like, or Titus 2 and 4, which I really love. You know, how is she about being a mother? How is she about being a keeper of home? And I know people get triggered about keeping a home. I'm not talking about necessarily being a cl like clean and great. I was not a great cleaner when I got married, and I still am not the best now, but it's not about that. It's about 
does she have capacity to be tethered to the home? And what I mean by that, if a man is looking for a wife, does she have running in her feet? Because once she has to be a mother and a wife, she has to have the ability to make home a priority. Now, I know that's not every relationship, but it's just the idea that if I'm always maneuvering, how do I ever get stabilized in the home? And for a woman, I always say, run, well, for both, run them through the fruits of the spirit. You should be vetting from a place of, do they have long suffering? How patient are they? How do they have sexual temperance? What kind of temperance do they have? Like, is every conversation you're having with them sex coming up some kind of way? You know, every joke is a sex joke. Is it like, what kind of conversation is had? Do they have patience? How is the server? When the server comes up, ah, you ain't gave me my water with the ice. You can vet somebody in small areas. You don't have to have all these deep questions. You, and I always say, go through the fruits of spirit, write them down in language that you understand. And when you date, run the person you're dating through the fruits of the spirit and see how they show up. That's a good one. And I think we can use that in marriage, right? To be a Absolutely. better wife, a better husband. Absolutely. Right? We should all be just playing Absolutely. it. I love that. My spouse is a widower and speaks of the former spouse often. I am okay with the occasional conversation, but how do I deal with it consistently being discussed? Constantly being discussed. Mm -hmm. Well, I would... I would ask, um, my question to the person would be, have you directly said how much it hurts you, hurt you? So what I mean by that is, have you brought it up in a manner in kindness and love? It says in truth, she'll set us free. So the truth of it will free you, but we don't have to do it in a rude way. So, you know, I loved how you loved your ex or your, your, your um, deceased. I love how you love them, but it really hurts me to constantly have dialogue about it. What can we do? How can we talk about this in a manner? You know, what, it's, it's about bringing it to, and, and the spouse may be offended by it. I'm not saying the truth will always end in a way that they'll be excited, but how do they respond? What if they say, well, you know, I just, I just, it's hard for me to get over the person or it's hard for me to, you know, everything I see thinks about it. Now here you are having a whole dialogue with your, the person you love about somebody who they loved. That's difficult, but this comes Fruits of the, here comes Holy Spirit again. If you can look at it through the lens of how can I help them get healing and get closer to Holy Spirit, get healed better in this and remove it from the romantic space as much as you can. But look at it in the lens that my, the person I love, loves somebody who died and that is a hard space for them. How can God help me center myself enough so that I don't take it personal and that I'm not offended by it? So that's, I would say first do truth and do it in kindness. Excellent. Let's go to the single life. As a single woman, how active of a part do I play with seeking slash going after a relationship? Or do I just go with the flow intentionally and just let it come to me? I can see my mother and my husband looking at me because they know this is my space. First of all, I am a lover of the book of Ruth. And I always tell single women, read it again. Ruth was not just, first of all, Ruth had an older woman who, who knew the language and the culture of the land. And then she listened to that older woman. And then she actually presented herself to Boaz. She didn't go with the flow. She presented herself to the point that he was like, wait, what's going on? What ha what's happening? And she was like, hey, you know, you the family redeemer. What's going on? And so my thing is, is that I believe that the single women particularly in the church, I believe have gotten sold a bill of goods about this just kind of waiting around. And what I mean is I understand it says a man that findeth a wife, but it's different 
being found. Like, you remember when you played high go seek? Well, no, I'm going to go deeper than that. You remember girls chase the boys, boys chase the girls, that kind of game. You know, we wasn't supposed to be playing, but we played years ago. You knew when it was a boy you liked, you ran real slow. <laughs> I ain't playing. And when it, <laughs> I know. It, maybe it was just me. And the boy you didn't like, you ran, you was like Jackie John or Kersey because you did not want to get caught. <laughs> you was running fast. So my thing is, is there's one thing to be found in a place that's visible. A lot of church women are hidden in the place. They up in the, It's one thing to be hiding behind the curtains with your shoes out versus in the attic with the door locked behind the car. And the, the problem is how I think single women are hiding. They're waiting for men to just do all the work. And I am telling you, if you have that mentality as single, you're going to be very bitter married because men are not husbands don't do all the work when you marry. So why would you get them in that way? They're not doing all the work like that. And so way too many amens out there. <laughs> way too many. So you Sorry. have to be an active participant. Um, and now you have to figure out your comfort level of I have I have a, a course called Wives and Training, and that is one of the things we do. We I actively push them to date and we vet the person they're dating through the community of women who's in the group and we talk about it because what it is is that. We have been taught that if you try to be men, I think ro the romantic world is the only place where we tell women to sit back. If a woman said, I'm going to get my doctors, go ahead, sis. I'm getting the house. Yes, girl, go ahead, get in the house. You know, even nowadays, if they say, you know what, I ain't found a man, I'm going to have a baby. Oh, girl, go ahead. You know, you can't wait for these men. Like, I want to get married. Now, wait a minute now, sis. Hold on now. Now, what's happening? That's the only way we become 1930s. And this is what I say. It's a lot of 2023 independent women, but they have a 1930s mindset, meaning that they have independence, like we're in 2023, like I can do whatever I want, but they're very 1950s in that I'm scared, I'm sitting on the side. You know, even those women back in the day dropped a white handkerchief to let men know that they were available. Oh, give us the history lesson. <laughs> Dropping handkerchiefs. That, that showed me like I'm available nowadays. Men don't even know. Women got mean faces. They walking around, don't talk to Like, how do men even know that you're even available to be approached? <laughs> you, so you heard the man preach. <laughs> we all right out there? They don't even know. They don't even know. So it, just being a smile could be something. It, it doesn't even have to be you're saying something. Just being approachable. How do you deal with infidelity in marriage? And you know, there's various forms of infidelity yeah. as well. So you could talk about that. How do, how do married couples deal with it? Infidelity is a very, I tell couples, especially when they come to me and we talk about it, is you can overcome it and your marriage can be better. So one thing I tell couples when they come to me and there's been effort, the infidelity, they'll say, our marriage will never be the same. I said, you're right, but it could be better. It could be a better marriage, meaning that infidelity, now there are many, unless somebody is a sex addict or something is going on in that area, Generally, infidelity between when men or women having it could stem from something that is broken in the relationship. Now, I don't use that as a get out of jail free card that people should be able to cheat and have affairs. I am just saying when couples come to me about infidelity, I want to get to the why it happened. I don't, we don't, of course, we talk about what has happened, but I want to know why it happened because once the marriage is restored, we want that not to happen again. And so we talk about it. I'd say infidelity can take years to go over. And this is the reason I've, ex I, I, I've seen it. Because usually the person who has committed the infidelity, they want the person who's on the receiving end to hurry up and heal. 
So how, how we got to keep talking about it? Like, okay, I did it. I'm sorry. Like how many times in the beginning, it could be very like, yes, I agree. But as the person is healing and, and like a roller coaster, one day they're having a good day, the next day they're not, the next day they're having a good day, the next day they're not. The person who has done it is watching their spouse be tormented. Because when you have been cheated on, it's a tormenting spirit that comes. Because now you, did I do enough? Did I do something wrong? Am I good enough? You know, will they do it again? And so it becomes that the person who has done the cheating has to now have the patience and roll with the person who is not, who is, who's felt it. And usually that's where it gets tricky because they don't want to keep reliving it. They want it to be like, okay, I've did it. The couples that I've seen make it through infidelity, the person who has done the infidelity has locked like lock, stock, and barrel with the person, and they have maneuvered with them through the ups and downs of their emotional highs and their emotional lows, and they were able to make it through it. This person says, I tend to lean on others for emotional support. How can I get this from my spouse? Well, so I always think the, the, the telltale sign of a great therapist is they have, they have more questions than they have answers. So I always tell people as a therapist, I'm not an advice giver because, you know, you got brothers and sisters and mothers and friends who can give you advice. Uh, so my question for that would be, has this been something new? So is the person that's here, is this something new? Or have they just recently stopped being um, emotionally, being able to go emotionally with the person? And say so they was like, well, yeah, it's new. Then my next question would be like, how long has that been around? Has it been a year? And then, because what we're trying to do is track when the emotional disconnect happened. So it could be all the way back seven months ago when he told you um, he got a, he, he, he bought a new car, he bought a new puzzle he liked. And you was like, okay, and? What I tell women oftentimes specifically is that men are very much like turtles when it comes to their emotions. They peek their head out <laughs> and then they come back. Like they check out to see, is this a safe space? A lot of times you'll hear people saying, um, like I'll ask people, what do you think is the number one thing a man wants? And most people say, oh, sex. And I'll say, no, it's peace. Men, they, that's usually the number one thing that they want. They want a peaceful space. And if they don't feel like the home is peace, what they do is they pull back because they know they can't win. They know nothing they're going to say is ever going to be good enough. They know, you know, I can't ever please her. So why say anything? And so in that situation, I would want to know emotionally, does the man feel emotionally safe to share himself? Does he feel emotionally connected enough? And if not, why not? Now, if, if she's doing everything she's supposed to do, then it kind of comes down to, you know, why is he disconnected in that way from her? Can you address a sexless marriage? And usually single people are the most confused by this. Sexless? Yes, <laughs> sexless. It's so the thing about a sexless marriage is there are many things to that too. Uh, usually if I have a couple that is struggling from a sexless marriage, the first question I usually ask them, the first thing I usually make sure is, have they been to the doctor? You know, have they gotten physically checked out? Is it low libido meaning? Do they have hormonal issues? Is the man suffering with low testosterone? You know, is she about to go through menopause? Like first get that to clear. So let's say all of that is fine. Everybody's hormones are fine. Everything checks out. Then my next test is emotionally. You know, are you emotionally connected? And a lot of people think sexless marriages are just initiated by women. Like a lot of people think it's just women not having sex, but there's been a, a slow rise of men who have been like, I'm not having sex either. And that has come from a place of, um, I feel disrespected. 
And so I don't feel respected in my home. And so you already are taking away a part of my manhood. So I'm going to take all my manhood from you. And so that is one place of the sexless marriage. Then it's about two times. Sometimes it's about, is it enough time? Usually when it comes to, sometimes with sexless marriage, partners don't prioritize their marriage. They prioritize their children. Usually it's their children first. I always say just because you're a good mother and a good father does not mean you're a good husband or wife. Um, they don't interlock. I always tell people, make a list of all the things you do in a day. So make a list, everything you do in a day. Now circle all the things that, you, that pertain to your spouse. And usually all the stuff is about their kids. So that's where sexless marriage should come in too because people feel like their bodies are being used. So that is a very up and coming thing as well. So earlier we talked about a single person and the, the, they were dating and they were frustrated because they felt like they wanted to be married but they weren't sure that their partner did. Now, this is a person from, uh, this is a question from a single person who's just single and they are frustrated by their desire to be married and they're trying to navigate because they have that desire but it's not happening. How do I maximize the way that I'm feeling and maximize in my single time? Uh, so the question is, what should they do? Uh, How do they handle those feelings? Uh, um, well, I, first of all, I say recognize that they're real and that you are frustrated. But then if your goal is to be married, my question would be, what are you doing to get married? Um, and that's something I don't think we ask people enough times. Like if you want to get, if I said, if you told me you wanted to get a job, you wanted to get this job, the first question people ask is, okay, so do you have an up-to-date resume? And the person's like, no, I don't got no resume. And then you're like, okay, well, have you started looking online? Mm-mm, I ain't looked online. Well, have you been asking your friends and family? Nope, I ain't asked nobody. So you would take away that they're not serious about getting married. They're not serious about working. The same thing about dating. So are you, a, are you going, if you're a woman, are you going to places where men are? I see a, a gaggle of women all together and no man for 300 miles away. And I'm like, how are you going to find a husband with a whole bunch of women? Like, are you putting yourself, have, do you go to Home Depot with your summer dress on? Like, go somewhere. Wait, she said, with a sundress on. <laughs> Here's another one. Go to the gym. There's a lot of men in the gym. A lot. It's a big number ratio. It's 20 men to like two women in the gym. Go to where men, go to sporting events. Are you going places to where men are? Are you setting yourself up? Same thing for me. If you want a wife, the bar might not be the best place to find a wife. Like, what are you looking for in a wife? <laughs> where are you going? What are you looking for? So, if, so I would say, what is the frustration? Is the fr- if I came to you and asked you, because that's one of the first things in my course, is that the women in the beginning, they have to write a wife resume. Why should you qualify for a husband? You know, and it, why do you qualify? So what are your qualifications? And usually women are like, I don't know. And then, well, like I said, I'll keep it PG, so I won't say everything I say. But basically, you have to see how you qualify. And so that's the same thing is that how are you qualifying? If it's something you really want, what are you doing to attain that? How do you incorporate faith into the therapy room as couples have their own faith journey? So one of the first things I ask when I have, I, so I ask four questions when I have people who come to me. First, if they say they're Christians, I ask four questions. My first question is, um, are you saved and what does salvation mean to you? Because that could be different from Christian to Christian. It means you don't wear lipstick. It means you don't wear pants. It means when I was on Easter, I go to, so what is salvation? That's the first question. The second question is, who is Holy Spirit to you? 
How, how does he affect your life? Who is he? The third question is, do you believe the Bible is an infallible word of God? And the fourth one is, have you ever been discipled? And the reason why I ask those four questions is, in my counseling, it helps me know how I can maneuver in my discussion. So if you're telling me that the Bible is an infallible word of God, you believe it through and through, then my next question is, and if you're telling me you're withholding sex, the man or the woman, then I am able to ask you, so what are your thoughts about the scripture that talks about your body is not your own? How do you decipher that? What does that mean to you? But so what I do is I take scripture and I put it in manageable language for people to understand. Um, and Holy Spirit just gives me different revelations on it in their particular situation. How do you divide up taking care of home? How do you divide up chores? Who should do them? That's individual as well, too. Uh, there's a lot of the first question I would ask with that. Who did you see doing those roles when you were growing up? So did you see your mother washing dishes? Did you see your dad doing so? What did you see? Did you see your mother doing everything and your dad doing nothing? Did you see your father cooking and your mother didn't cook? Like, what did you see? Because usually what you saw growing up, shape, it does shape your lens. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be the person that'll do it. So if you were growing up and you always had to wash the dishes, you might have made a silent oath when you was eight years old. I ain't never washing dishes when I get older. I ain't never doing that. And you will be a, a, surprised at how that secret oath will mess up your marriage. <laughs> It's, it's an oath that you really have to break. It's a covenant that you made when you was eight. I ain't never going to do that. So now you got a spouse who is begging you to just wash one plate. And you like, I ain't never, you ain't my mama. I ain't washing no plates. And you, and they like, well, where's this coming from? What's happening? And so the idea is figuring out and being able to communicate why something is important to you. You know, I'm really overwhelmed when I'm washing the dishes by myself and you don't help me. So how can we, here's this word again, how can we negotiate this through? So do I want, do you want me to grocery shop and then you cook? Do you want to cook? Like laying it all out and asking and then asking your spouse, well, exactly what is it that you want to do? What do you do well that you want to do? And this is what I do well. And so as you're married longer, you can kind of flow into that. But I definitely think when, uh, when couples are younger in their marriage, they need to have a definitive conversation about what they see. And as they go through these different obstacles, have a new a renegotiation. Well, I know when we didn't have kids, I, I said, I don't mind cleaning the whole house. Well, because we didn't have kids. Now we got three kids running around destroying the house. I think it's unfair that I got to clean up the whole house. So now there's a new negotiation on the table. Sometimes uh, couples have a rule at their first year that they're trying to implement in their 15th year and it doesn't work. So you have to recommunicate what your new rules are. So do, would you suggest that a married couple have a regular conversation if so, should they put on the calendar? Like how, how to keep that communication, you know, just vibrant and AKA negotiations. negotiations. I think you should be negotiating at least 90 minutes a week, just about the task of the home minimum 90 minutes a week should be the ins and the outs of the home. Uh, you know, the bills or however you can have different, but the bare minimum, an hour and a half, it should be just, I call it roommate task. There are two parts to a marriage. The roommate part, like the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, you know, who's going to pay this bill, who's picking up this kid, who's going there. And then there's the arrows, the romantic part of the relationship. Um, a lot of times when you're married, especially the longer you've been married, you spend a lot more time in the roommate area and less in the romantic area. And you really need to balance those. So you should do 90 minutes of the roommate area. The arrows, I believe you should be doing every day, even if it's a text message, even if it's a, it should be something that's pumping up the desire um, in the relationship. So you, 
women want to, we need to feel desired by our husband. It's important. We need to feel desired and want it. But the trick that we've thought that men don't, but men also need to feel desired too. And that's why I'm really against that lazy dating. Because if you're being treated like a princess through the whole dating process, what happens when you get married? You don't just automatically flip a switch and then start desiring your husband and planning dates and going, you know, making him feel like he's sexy. Like you have to practice that even beforehand because you don't just wake up mirroring and be like, oh, okay, now I'm going to make him feel desired. And is it 90 minutes in one sitting or can it be broken up? You just... yeah, I was going to say that too. Can you give like some practical application because everybody's like, yeah, that sounds good, but I got all these responsibilities. We both work, we, you know, kids. And so how, how have you helped people like walk that out, the conversations around the roommate conversations and the arrows conversations? So the, the planning can be, I think the roommate conversation with nine times out of 10 is easier. So you could just put that on your calendar. You all can discuss when's the best time to do it. I always say, if you a morning person and they're a night person, because that's another thing we don't think about. Maybe your spouse is more sharp at 5 a.m. and you're more sharp at 8 p.m. You even have to negotiate time frames too. You might have to switch. Well, this week we'll have an early morning conversation and next week it'll be an evening conversation. So that way people are feeling prioritized. And also it could be in your calendar, like schedule them in just like you would schedule in anything else, like make it a schedule. Um, the arrows part too, I believe in scheduling. Now I get a lot of flack about uh, like the idea of scheduling sex that like, but I believe and the concept of not necessarily on Tuesday at 7 p.m., meet me in the bedroom, but it can be scheduling on the sense of how many days can you go without sex? How many days do you feel your, your thermometer rising? Okay, I could go five days. Uh, well, what about you? I can only go two days. Let's negotiate. Well, we, won't, we will have sex every, no longer. We will go without sex no longer than three days a week or no longer than seven days. It doesn't have, and you know, if you wait to the seventh day, you know that's the day. But if not, you can have sex within any of that time frame. And so I try to help couples realize that has to be intentional. Sex and marriage has been bamboozled because the world makes sex this, um, a lot of people when they're talking about sex is single sex. You know, I have sex when I'm horny. I have sex when they're sexy. I have sex when I feel like it. Married sex is totally different. Married sex is a dutiful sex. Now, it doesn't have to always be duty, but it's based off of this idea that we need to be intentional about this part of our, and the Bible talks about it, you know, making sure that you're not keeping no time so nobody will sin. Like the Bible, if, there are some things the Bible is not explicit about, but there are some things it's very explicit about. And for some reason, that's the things we ignore. It's very explicit about that. Can you, oh, can you speak to the way people change after marriage? It can be vast different. It can be vast in differences from dating. As it, as it should be. It, sh it should be very different and not necessarily in a bad way, but um, I always say dating and marriage. So if you, if you ever bought a house, uh, I compare uh, house shopping like dating. You're dating, you're looking around to see who fits. And so house shopping, you're looking at this house, you're looking at the house, you're looking at all the great points. Oh, this is great, that's great. But when you buy a house, that's marriage. So when you buy a house, you don't realize all the intricacies. You don't realize the leaky faucet and the creaky floor and the roof gathered. It's not until you sign the contract and live in the house that you recognize all of these different things. People are dating today expecting full access to people. You're not going to have that. It's impossible. Like, though my husband and I have been married 27 years, there are things that I'm just learning about him 
within the last year or two, like, because he's changing and he's learning about him and the same for me. And so I often say people in today's dating world want on date one, what it took me 30 years to get. Like the, the, there's no patience. Like I need to know everything. You're not going to know everything. That's why you need Holy Spirit and you need a therapist to help you maneuver through that because you're going to have an obstacle. It's just a matter of once you have that obstacle, can you communicate and maneuver through it? Um, talk about the importance of truth, right? That's connected to trust in marriage. Why is it important that we speak the truth to our spouse in love? Sometimes it's even our past or what we're going through. Talk about the importance of that. I was chuckling because a wife speaking her truth looks different than a husband speaking his truth. <laughs> and we, can I be real? Uh, yes. <laughs> a wife pretty much can speak her truth in marriage. I'm, I, you know, this is what I need from you. Uh, because generally men will take that information, process it and either agree or disagree. But, but with us as women, as wives, when a husband speaks his truth, he has to factor a whole lot more other stuff. Is this the right time in the month to tell this particular truth? You know, how's her hormones looking now? How's the kids? Is she overwhelmed? Like, I don't think we talk enough about that reality of it, is that truth is important, but you have to know your spouse and when you can speak a particular truth or not. Like, if you want to know how you look in a dress, do you really want your husband's truth or do you want him to tell you what you want to hear, like, that's why I always say, what kind of truth do you really want in those moments? But I do believe that men have to be more comfortable because that's what I see in couple counseling often. Um, usually what I see is that when women get upset and when we get frustrated and when we get bitter, we get louder. We get more in, in your face, more uh, angry. When men get bitter, they tend to detach. So when men start getting quiet and they start pulling back, and I'm not talking about the, the processing, but that, okay, whatever, I've cool. Yeah, okay, is that, all right, whatever. I always tell men they have to fight through that. They have to fight through finding and keeping their voice in marriage because they will get bitter and they will want to either leave or disconnect or not be there. So I usually when I'm counseling couples, I'm really big on teaching men men, husbands in particular, about speaking their truth in marriage in a manner that their wife can hear, but being consistent so that they don't close down. All right, let's go to the dating scene. Is this good? Should we keep going or y'all tired? <laughs> y'all all right? Okay, all right. How do you deal with the pressures and judgments of not being married yet, but you all have been in a relationship for a while? So they've been dating for a while, but they're not married, but everybody like pressing them like, why y'all ain't married? Why y'all ain't married? What y'all waiting on? What y'all waiting on? So how do they deal with it? Deal with the pressures and the judgments. Get married. <laughs> now you all had a pressure. <laughs> Next question. Get married. Well, really, I guess the reason would be why are the people asking them? We did a Bible study talking about the difference between judgment and condemnation. And the Bible talks about judgment, you know, judging one another. But it also talks about, you know, judgment in another sense. So when you look up the words, well, on one sense, judgment means a, a rightful thought process. On the other one, condemnation means putting somebody like, like putting them in prison to this thought process. Are the people judging them in the sense like, we know you ain't happy just being his girlfriend. We know you ain't happy just being her boyfriend. Why aren't you married? Or are they saying y'all ain't no good for not being married? And so the idea is you have to figure out the difference because if they're judging you or they're asking you, what's the answer? 
like, why aren't you married? If you've been in a relationship that long, what's the hindrance? Because either that person is your husband or they're standing in the way of your husband. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How to stay grounded in faith with a swaying partner. Show them, uh, I think about the scripture that says uh, the unsanctified or the unbelieving husband will be way, won over by their believing spouse. Uh, if you have a spouse that is not believing or, or they're swaying in their belief system, uh, stay true to yours, but still love them through theirs. So, so love them through their disconnections or love them. And then my next question would be, is it just that they are not, what is making you feel like they're wavering? Because sometimes some religiosity can get in there too. I don't know who this particular person is, but do they not seem like, do they seem like they're wavering because they're not measuring up to your standard of what you think they should be doing? Or is it wavering because they are literally going against the word of God? So that's what I would ask them. That's a money question. Finances? Yeah. How do you deal with a spouse that is oblivious to the finances? Oof. I'm sure you probably get money a lot, right? Money issues. Well, money, and y'all know y'all the gurus of this. I was like, yeah, I learned so much from y'all about it. Uh, I think if, if they're oblivious, I think this is where that patience part comes in too. You know, the question can be, does the partner allow you to have access? Like, like if you're better with the money, will that partner say, listen, I know I'm not good enough with it. So you take over it. Like, can you take the money and handle it? Are they oblivious in the sense that they're constantly spending and being reckless with the money? Um, like figuring out the obliviousness, but also I would say too, are they anti-budget? Like just kind of getting to the bottom of why they're, you know, what's their history with money? I always say, what's their relationship to money? Like, what's your relationship? Is that, a, is that what com comforts them when they're in a the bad space? Like, what's their relationship and connection to money? All right. So here's um, kind of the, uh, the other side of the spectrum that you can help us with in marriage. This person says, in our relationship, we battled and have won. We've never been happier than we are now. But how do we stay here? Say it again. They've battled. They've been through stuff. Okay. They've overcome stuff. They're in a great season. How do they stay there? I would say constantly remember how they got there. Like how did they, like what's rooted them in this spot? So if they've battled in the past, but now they're in a great space, figuring out what got them to this great space and always holding on to that particular part. So even when they get another bump in the road, recognizing that this is a bump, but we've made it through worse and we'll continue to push through more. Should a spouse discipline, like the physical kind, like spanking, um, their stepchildren? If so, uh, when age of, if, wait, let me read this, hold on that. Somebody was typing with their thumbs or something. Should a, should a spouse discipline their stepchildren when age appropriate? Or does it matter how long the two have been together that makes a difference as to whether or not they should be a part of the disciplining of the stepchildren. So basically, is it okay for the step parent to, to spank, spank or discipline the other? Well, I, that's also, uh, well, I personally don't think kids should be getting spankings past a certain age, getting hit past a certain age, because now you're dealing with a whole adult at some point, And, you know, the tendency to want to hit you back gets stronger and stronger, and now it's going to be a fist fight. So... <laughs> 
So that's, I think, even with the biological parent. But uh, the step parents, here goes back to that, that blended counseling, that blended family counseling, because, you know, my question would be, you know, because there are some step parents who the kid, they're so connected to the family. They're like, basically, they father or their mother. But then there are some blended families where the, the, the parent has only come around since the kid is 10 or 12. Then also, my next question would be, what does the other parent say? Like, how does the other parent respond? Because now you have a negotiation with the other parent. Because what if you're okay with it, but the other parent is like, bet nobody else be touching my kid. So now is this is why everybody needs to be involved in what this decision is. Because I always say the devil use kids too. I don't know why people think they don't. The devil use kids too. And so, because they wrapped in the same nasty flesh we wrapped in. The devil done turned your mic off. Speaking of, see, I, <laughs> he just said, uh, so he don't, he don't, he, he, he work on kids too. And so you need a solid, a, a solid front with all the adults in line so that the kid won't play one person against the other. My husband and I don't have any children outside of our marriage, but our kids will play games with us too. They'll play in our face too if we let them. So you just have to have a front. Whatever you decide needs to be on one accord. Yeah, that's so good. What do you do after you have had kids and realize that you may not want to stay married anymore? My question would be, what, why not? <laughs> why? I, I wouldn't ask that directly in counseling. I would not yeah, take that I, way. I think this question, I think whoever said this is probably more to why they want to leave, but they have children. A lot of people stay in marriage because they have children. So, the, so um, uh, I'm going to say something that's very unpopular. Uh, and I know it comes from a very troubled background. Like I know our patterns, particularly in the African-American community, was very choppy about people staying with kids, staying with families and all that other stuff, when they staying with fathers and mothers when they shouldn't. But I personally don't think there's any better reason to stay married than for kids because it's about legacy. But it's about working and fighting it through for the children because I always say the things that my husband and I do today will affect three and four generations of people who will never know us. So it is very important to make decisions that if you're leaving because you feel like, you know, like I said, if it's abuse, if it's like these abuse, if it's um, egregious infidelity, if it's these high ticket item things, okay. But usually if it's about figuring out communication and figuring out patterns and figuring out expectations, I, I, if somebody came to me saying that they wanted to get divorced, that's not my place to judge that or my place to even talk people into staying married. But I definitely am a advocate for marriage. Um, and so I'm always trying to get to the bottom of can this be solved and can it be resolved? So I, I think kids are an excellent reason to fight harder than you would have fought before, better than butterflies in your stomach, because that's usually why people want to stay married. Here's a different kid question. How do you work through a marriage where one partner wants more children and the other does not? Um, oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> that would, I think you would have to yield yourself to the negotiation part of it, you know, figuring out how it is. You know, if you don't want kids, but your spouse does, that is a hard thing to get past. I wouldn't even, I would, that would actually be something I would have to counsel somebody through because I wouldn't know directly what to say to somebody who, because that's a difficult thing. So I'm not sure exactly how I would counsel that, but definitely getting to the root of why the person wants more and why the person doesn't. Because the person who doesn't want more kids, if you dig into it, could be saying, well, you didn't help me with the first one. 
you know, or, you know, I'm scared that if I have two kids, you won't be there for me. Whereas the other one is like, well, I don't want, I want more children because of blah, blah, blah. So it's really about getting to the bottom of why each are moving in a particular way. You bring up a good point because some people have questions that you could only diagnose if you had the chance to talk to them. So before we ask the final couple of questions, could you let people know how they can connect with you and uh, get some therapy from you? Okay. Your resources as well. Okay. But, uh, I have a website. It's called ericacares2.com. It has uh, information on that. I do all my counseling is online. Is that the number two or T-O-O? Oh, uh, the number two. And Erica's E-R-I-C-A. C-A-R-E-S-2. Uh, and it kind of goes back to a question you had asked earlier, too, about why people don't do couple counseling and things of that nature. Um, I tell people coming to my couch, my virtual couch, it's not about judgment. It's really about solutions. I tell people I only help them discover patterns that they don't even know exist. That's what I'm doing. I'm not there to judge or bring solution to what you're doing. I'm there to simply show you what you may have not seen. So, and then I have a upcoming WIT course, Wives in Training. And my husband actually just started. Um, it's called LIT, Legacy in, Tra in Training, where there's 10 men he works with who are marriage-minded, and I work with 10 women who are marriage-minded, and then we go through a course. Right now we're on WIT 201, which is called the language of men, teaching women how to understand men, and then the men will be teaching women, uh, teaching how to understand women. So all that information is on the website. Say it one more time. Uh, Erica Cares, the number two dot com. You can also email info at allnationsaward.com if you need her information later. How do you recommend couples connect when one or both have a drastic trauma background, i.e. if one or both have fear of abandonment because they had absentee parents? Well, generally the abandonment part, I think the way you end up helping people connect or going through that trauma is once again, speaking it through. The biggest thing is one of the things I like to do and why I think couple therapy with two people is, is so good is because I'm able to ask the person questions about the trauma and usually in asking the other partner is hearing it from a lens that they've never heard before. And so the idea that I'm asking something and many times the other couple will be like, man, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that happened to you. I mean, I heard this story 30 times, but I didn't really know you felt that way about it. And so I think getting with a therapist um, or a counselor so that they can ask you some questions so they can begin to unfold and open up some of the, the dark spaces in your heart so your spouse can see it. Because usually that causes an empathetic shift in that particular person. One more question. Talk about um, why it is important for couples to pray together, worship together, serve the Lord together. I think it's important because it helps. God is the the binding point. Holy Spirit is the commonality. Even when my husband and I struggle with our um, anything, we always, I think of it like this, God is home base. So even when we're struggling in all these different areas, God is where we reset. And prayer gives us a chance to reset. Serving together gives us a chance to reset. Um, doing all these different things, Bible study gives us a chance to reset because we get to see each other's um, thought processes and ideas through what the other person is speaking about. So Erica, as we close out, um, there's some single people in the audience, um, some married people in the audience, divorced people in the audience, some widows in the audience. And our goal is uh, for them all, no matter where they land on the spectrum, to get some wins 
in their life when it comes to love. So could you do us a favor and pray for us all to be recipients of some wins um, in our love? Heavenly Father, I thank you right now for all who can hear me and those who can see me, Lord Jesus. I ask you right now to instill these fruits of the Spirit, Lord Jesus. Help each one of the couples to recognize, and singles and people who are grieving, to know that your love is the unadulterated truth and that through your love, you can help heal the wounds that they have in their hearts. Lord, you desire, you desire to go in their hearts and mend the broken spaces. Allow them to open up, Lord Jesus. Allow them to find a safe space to connect and communicate with people. Lord, allow them not to think, take things so personal. Let them know that you've done far greater for us out of love and that they can do the same. Lord, your word says what you would give to us. Allow these people to feel loved by you. And if I, allow the ones who desire to get married, Lord, to help them do it afraid. Help them to run from the spirit of fear, Lord Jesus. Help them not be afraid of this lifelong commitment of love and cherish. Those who are divorced, Lord Jesus, I ask you to mend their hearts along with those who are widowed. Lord, and those who desire marriage, I ask you right now to help them find and help them to do what they need to do in order to meet the person that you would have for them. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Can we stand and give an applause to our special guest today, Erica Brooks. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.